Welcome to the teaching ministry of Reverend JFK Mensa, a seasoned Bible teacher with over 40 years of ministry experience. He is a pastor, a church planter, a missionary, and an international conference speaker. He is passionate about making Christ-like disciples worldwide. JFK Mensa is the General Overseer of Great Commission Church International. May you be transformed as you listen to the Word of God. Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, what a joy to know that you instituted marriage and therefore the blueprint for successful marriage lies with you. Even as we open this chapter on Christian marriage, our prayer, Father, is that by the Holy Spirit, you will not only open our minds and shine into our hearts, but you will refresh us and cause us to think along with you so that our homes will reflect you. In Jesus' name, Amen. Today, I want to tackle the meaning and definition of Christian marriage. Number two, the importance and purpose of Christian marriage. Number three, the foundations of Christian marriage. Now, in Matthew chapter 19, I want us to read from verse 3 all the way to verse 12. The Pharisees and scribes in the days of Jesus, they recognized that marriage was failing and divorce was rampant. So they came to Jesus and asked him a social question to test him. They said, is marriage allowed? And let's hear the response of Jesus Christ. We are in Matthew. We are reading chapter 19, all the way from verse 3 to verse 12. Yes. Matthew chapter 19, from verse 3 to 12. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife? For any cause. He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together let not man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. 
But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. The disciples said to him, If such is the case of a man with his wife, then it's better not to marry. But he said to them, Not everyone can receive the same, but only those whom, to whom it is given. For there are Enoch's who have been sold from birth, and there are Enoch's who have been made Enoch's by men, and there are Enoch's who have made themselves Enoch's for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Another one who is able to receive this, receive it. Uh, this passage is critical. It's repeated in Mark chapter 10 from verse 2 all the way to verse 9. Uh, I want to bring out six things in the attitude of Jesus to marriage from this passage. Number one is that Jesus believed in creation of male and female. Jesus did not believe in evolution that our grandparents are chimpanzees. Number two, Jesus believed that it is God who joins people together in marriage. What God has joined together, let not man put us under. Number three, Jesus believed that marriage should be monogamous between one man and one woman. Jesus did not believe in polygamy. Four, Jesus believed in anti-divorce. Jesus taught that marriage is for a lifetime. Romans chapter 7, verse 1 to 3 says that a, man, a woman is bound to the man as wife as long as the man lives or the woman is alive. Then, number 6, Jesus believed in the Old Testament definition of marriage. He quoted Genesis chapter 2 verse 24. Therefore shall a man leave father and mother and cleave to the wife and the two shall be one flesh. I want to take some time to send us back to what Jesus believed in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. Because Many people are competing with the idea of Christian marriage as the norm. They challenge it with traditional marriage. They challenge it with Islamic marriage. They challenge it with just, you know, social getting together. And I want us to go back 
and look at the institution of marriage as placed in Genesis chapter 1, verse, uh, uh, chapter 1 and chapter 2. In Genesis chapter 1, from verse 26, we are reading 26 and 27, the scripture says that God said, let us make man in our own image and after our likeness. Genesis chapter 1, yes. 26 and 27, then God said, let us make man in our image. After our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. The scripture says, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And God created man in his own image and after his likeness. I challenge any human being in the world to give me a better identity for human dignity and worth than what the Christian Bible teaches. The Bible is teaching that according to the creation account, man carries a stamp of Imago Dei. The image of God, the likeness of God has been stamped on human life. The meaning is, is this. That by definition, Human beings are not just accidents of science and the Big Bang Theory. That man carries the image of the creator of the universe. It also means that the definition of the dignity of a human being the worth of a human being is that he weighs more than any animal. We are not grandchildren of animals. We rule over them. We were created in the image of God to rule over animals. We did not come from animals. We didn't evolve from animals. It also means that suicide is a sin. You have no right to take your life because you are in the image of the God of the universe. You did not create yourself. Therefore, you cannot take your own life. It also means abortion is a sin against heaven because the baby you carry in your womb, even if it's by accident, even if it's by rape, even if it is uh, unplanned, it's the stamp of God. Angels do not marry. Angels cannot bring forth children. Only human beings in this time of our life bring forth. 
after death there is no marriage there is no procreation therefore pregnancy is God's stamp of his image in Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5 God told Jeremiah before I formed you in the womb I knew you before you came out of your mother's womb I sanctified you and ordained you a prophet to the nations it is not the doctors and the scientists who determines when a human being becomes a human being the Bible says we carry the image of God and God stamp upon us you know can you imagine over 500,000 babies that are yearly flushed down the toilet and killed in one state alone. Why? Why? Why, Why has humankind become so heartless and wicked in our determination to have our own rights? We have killed babies and denied them their rights, even though they are in the image of God. But that is not all. The second thing you can notice in the passage is that male and female created he them. Male and female created he them. Male and female created he them. Way from Genesis chapter 1 sexuality was put into man by the hand of God your personality is defined in addition to the kind of sex God gave you when you were being born no human being has a right to change sex you have no right to change your sex because heaven is saying that your sexuality whether you are male or female is built into you this is the reason why the suicide rates among those who are changing their sex is getting so high you know and this is the reason why when you change your sex from being a man to a woman you need injections of progesterone testosterone and estrogen in order to keep on being the transformed woman you have become. Because it is not natural. You see? And notice that the passage explains that in the creation of God, He already anticipated the joining of one man and one woman. So the verse 28, Genesis chapter 1 says, He blessed them and said, Be fruitful, multiply. Knowing very well that a single man or a single woman can never be fruitful. Homosexual marriages fail because they are not natural. They cannot produce children. They cannot reproduce Allowing homosexual marriages between men and men and women and women will kill society. It will destroy mankind because there is no natural fruit. It's true. Now they have been given legal status so they can adopt children. But can a court decide that the sun should rise? Courts don't decide for nature. 
A court cannot rule that from today human beings should, should walk with their head. Courts don't rule for nature. They don't rule the laws of gravity. No court can decide that from today gravity should go uh, upwards. They can't. No human court in every country all over the world can rule marriage for human beings. Well, let's take some little time to look at the Genesis 2 account. In Genesis chapter 2, let's read verse 7 first of all. The Bible says that after the mist watered the earth, God took the mud, dust of the ground, and made clay image and created man. And he breathed into his nostrils. And man became a living soul. Yes. Genesis chapter 2 from verse 7. Yes. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. Yes. God created man with three parts. The body, this flesh, was from the dust of the ground. That's why he said, dust you have, to dust you will return. But when God breathed into the nostril of man, the scripture says man became a living soul. Man had a soul. The soulless part of man is the part where we think we reason, we have our memory, and we, we have imagination. That, that is the mind. Then human beings have emotions. We, we, have, we love, we hate, we forgive, we, 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 we feel joy and sadness, sorrow, jealousy. They are emotions of the soul. The third part of the soul is the will. The decision-taking part of man. Man is a free moral agent. He can take a decision to wake up or to sleep. He can take a decision to eat or not to eat. He has a will. But the third part of human beings in that passage is that man became a living soul. He had a spiritual part from what God breathed into him which made man able to sense the presence of God and to communicate with God, to hear God, to talk to God, and to know God is around. This is why you will see that in Genesis 3, 8, for example, we are told that man heard the voice of God in the garden and he went and hid himself. You see, it means that you know, man could sense God's presence. Man had a spiritual path where his conscience is, where intuition is, and where his worship and fellowship center is in his spirit man. This is why in, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 14 and 15, the Bible says that God told man, you can eat of every tree in the garden. 
but of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. In the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. God made man a free moral agent. Man is not a robot. Man has not been pre-programmed. You know, so when you come from work, then you ring the doorbell. Then your wife walks like this and kisses you. Dinner is ready. Man was not pre-programmed like that. Because if man has no free will, man cannot love God and his neighbor. Love is optional. And therefore, it must be built upon free will and choice. Now, let us get closer to how this comes into marriage. We are reading Genesis chapter 2 verse 18 we are reading from verse 18 to verse 24 but we shall be pausing on the way yes Genesis chapter 2 from verse 18 all the way through 24 ultimately then the Lord God said it is not good that the man should be alone I'll make him a helper fit for him you know the Lord God According to Genesis chapter 1 verse 31, when God finished his creation, he saw everything evaluated and it was very good. God knows what is good. And Genesis 2.18, he says, it is not good for man to be alone. The unmarried man, according to God's evaluation, is not good enough. He says that it is not good for the man to be alone. He said, I will make for him a help meet. Those are two important Hebrew words. Help is Ezel. That's the word from which we get our Hebrew names like Eliezer. My God is my helper. Ebenezer. Stone of help. Ezra. Ezer is used more than 15 times in the Old Testament and its use is about God as my helper but it is used of the woman when God said I will make for man a helper a woman is not a destroyer God never created a woman to be a destroyer a woman who is a destroyer is failing from the identity and dignity God gave women at creation. The woman was created to be a helper. But not only that. He says, Ezer Neget. Neget is the Hebrew word which means something which corresponds to. It is similar to, but it is opposite and facing so that it can lock up into one with the other part you see so it's like a toothpaste and toothbrush it's like two pairs of scissors it's like a needle and a thread the two lock into one another you see so god said i'm going to make a helper equal but corresponds to you the woman was created 
so that the weaknesses in the man will be covered by the woman and the weaknesses in the woman will be covered by the man the woman and the man fit into one to make a complete whole it is not when you see your wife not able to lift something say oh look get away from there you this woman you are too weak you you are not saying anything new she was made like that and you were made strong so that you can cover her weakness it's the same way when a, a woman says oh you this man you don't even know anything you can't cook you can't even thread a needle get away from there and let me do my thing you we were created to be complementary not antagonistic this is why when god in his search created animals and brought them to adam none of them was found as a suitable helper you see because the animal did not reason and have the same kind of of spirit that man had but when the woman was brought he said now at last yeah bone of my bones flesh of my flesh she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man yes please go on from verse 19 verse 19 now yes now out of the ground the lord god had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them and whatever the man called every living creature that was its name the man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field but for adam there was not found a helper fit for him so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. Because she was taken out of man. Yes. Now, you have to follow God and Adam as they went through the process of searching for a suitable helper. Until God put man to sleep and took out of his bones a rib and formed a woman and brought him to the man. And the man said, Yeah. He became poetic. Bone of my bones. Flesh of my flesh. She shall be called Isha. Because she was taken out of Ish. The man is Ish. Isha is taken out of Ish. We have already read Genesis 2.7. God could have just taken clay and created another woman. For the man. But he didn't. Why did he do that? He wanted to point out that the woman and the man are a unit. They are not different, separate entities that are being brought together. He wanted to explain to humankind the obvious things which society today is fighting. In any team, there is always a leader. And he wanted man to be the leader of the team out of love and he wanted the woman to be the assistant head out of submission and 
the marriage formula came. Therefore, shall a man leave father and mother, cleave to his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. I want to use this as the definition of Christian marriage. Christian marriage is that covenant and bonding which happens when a man leaves father and mother and cleaves to his wife so that the two become one flesh under God. That is Christian marriage. It means a Christian marriage, one, is a covenant. Malachi chapter 2 verse 14. Two is a joining, a yoking, a bonding. Romans chapter 7 verse 1 to 3. It is an honorable estate. And any sexual relationship outside marriage is frowned on by the Bible. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 4. It says marriage should be honorable among all. And the marriage bed undefiled, pure for adulterers and fornicators. God will judge. God himself will judge them. Then marriage is a mystery. Marriage is for a lifetime. It is anti-divorce. Marriage is monogamous. One man, one wife. Marriage is heterosexual. It's between male and female. I want to move on and quickly rush through the eight purposes and importance of marriage. I will list them for you because you can always check them on your own. Number one purpose of marriage in the mind of God is that Christian marriage will represent Christ and his church. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 22 to 23 brings this out. It says, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as the church is to Christ. Then, verse 27, husbands, love your wives. No, 25 to 27. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. The Christian marriage is the graphic picture which our neighbors, our children, our church members can see Jesus and the church, this bride, in action. Number two, marriage is to solve the problem of indiscriminate sex. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, from verse 1 to 5, Paul argues that every man should have his wife, every woman should have the husband, because of fornication. Your Christian body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. It has been bought by the blood of Jesus. You are not your own. 
You belong to Jesus. You cannot just give yourself sexually to anybody. First Corinthians chapter 6 from verse 13 all the way to verse 19 argues that out. He says when you unite yourself with any other sexual partner, you become one flesh with the person. You are locked up. You yourself, you can testify. A boyfriend or girlfriend you had sex with 20 years ago. After your marriage, you see that you still are vulnerable to that person. You still are open to that person. Why? Because anybody who sleeps with you sexually locks into your soul. And there is a soul tie, a bonding as a result. The third reason why marriage is critical for the Christian is to solve the problem of loneliness. We have already read the Genesis 2.18. God brings into marriage fellowship and intimacy and a relationship which is the basis for friendship. You know, if you are married and your wife or your husband cannot share his deepest secrets with you, then you have failed. Because it means somehow you haven't been able to catch the heart and fulfill the purpose of covering the loneliness part and the fellowship, the friendship part. And it must be worked at. So, number one, representing Jesus and his church. Number two, sex. Number three is solving the loneliness problem. But number four is procreation. Having children. You can't just drink water and have children. No man alone has children. No woman alone has children. Even if the, your, your court rules for homosexual marriages, you can have 80 men come and sleep with one another. They won't have children. They won't. 50 women, lesbians, can come and sleep with one another. They won't have children. It is the man and the woman in the act of procreation. Yes, I like Genesis chapter 5 verse 1 to 3 but there is no time to read it he says when God created man he made man in his own image and when Adam was 130 years old he gave birth to a child Seth, in his own image we procreate with God this is why I explained to you that even angels do not have children and after death no human being is allowed to have any more children so, having children is only a right and a duty and a privilege in this age while you are alive. Now, let's go to number five. Is marriage helps us to build what we call Christ-like character. When you are alone, you can do what you like. You can get up when you like. You can pace when you like. You can eat what you like. You can go wherever you like without asking permission and so on. But once you are married, it brings a stress onto your character. The areas in your life which are not correct, but you have always thought they were okay, are now brought up under pressure. Because there is a second person now. And then you can see that the testing of your character comes to play. And your, as you rub on one another, like stones rub on one another. You become smoother and smoother because in the marriage relationship, you are forced to live together. And because you are bound together, 
you begin to chip off the rough edges of each other until finally, as the, I've been married now uh, since 1981, 39 years. And because of my 39 years in marriage, I can predict about 90% what my wife will say, even when she is not there in a given situation. When I go to the airport, I, I think, I say, ah, if my wife were here, she would have said, Pastor, have you locked your, your suitcase? Hey, Pastor, did you? Pastor, because the, I, I, the marriage makes her a part of me. And my rough edges, if you think you are patient, get married and see. Then you will know whether you are patient or not. Yes. Then, number six thing that marriage does for us is it brings into play what we call parenting. All children who are coming to this world need a home. They need a father. They need a mother. They need the input of the resources that God has put into motherhood. The resources God has put into fatherhood. Genesis chapter 3 verse 30, the Bible says, and Adam called the, the name of his wife Eve, because she was the mother of all living. Genesis chapter 18, verse 17 to 19. God said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Knowing that Abraham will command his household to obey the Lord. So that in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. You know, parenting and home life and family life is the most important unit of society. It is not the school. It is not the courts. It is not parliament. That is the most important component of society. It is the families that make Ghana. It is the families that build up Togo and build up England. So the family unit, if you destroy the family unit, you destroy parenting, you destroy the children, the moral values which you come from the home, and enter society. You, the, uh, your business is searching for a man who is not a thief to employ as an accountant. Do, do they drop from the sky? Eh? The accountants who are not thieves, do they drop from the sky? A home built that into them. Integrity is built in the home. Honesty is built in the home. It's people who come to serve in government. It's people who come to serve in the courts. It's people who come to serve in the businesses. And these people are prepared in homes. They are prepared. They are trained. Their character is built by parents. And therefore, if we destroy the Christian home, we destroy society. We break all the values of society. You know? And then, number seven, is that the Christian home also brings into into birth what we call family calling. I don't want to spend time on it. All the children of Aaron were priests. So one family gave to Israel all their priests. David's children were the kings of Israel and Judah. You see, a family calling is what God has called that family to come and do. You see, the Kennedy family in America, you know, you, you see that the family produces people who do certain things. And therefore, 
when the family is taken good care of, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they provide for the world what God originally intended when he set them up. Family calling. Number eight is team building. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4 from verse 9 to 12, the Bible says two are better than one. If one falls, the other will lift him up. And when they lie together, they are warmer. An enemy that can prevail against one person will not be able to prevail against the two of them. And a threefold cord is not easily broken. When God builds husband and wife, he starts building a team for accomplishment, for achievement. Matthew 18, 20. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Why? Because they are two, they carry a bigger presence of Jesus Christ. In the mouth of two or three witnesses, everything will be established. When we are two, when we are together, we accomplish much, much more than when you are alone, traveling alone. You know, when we started writing, my wife wrote one book and stopped. I wrote one book on how to overcome discouragement. And I was discouraged and I stopped. But one day it occurred to me to call her. And I said, oh, mama, you know, you write. I also write. We are in the same bedroom. Why don't we combine our efforts? Every book you write, it will be JFK and Georgina Mensa. Every book I write, it will be JFK and Georgina Mensa. And two of us can work on one book together. Different chapters. And it will be JFK and Georgina Mensa. And she said, oh, that's a good idea. Then we started. Now we have over 40 books. Why? Because of teamwork. Marriage births teams. Teams that are not just I walk alone. And let me finish with my time by talking about the most critical foundation stones of Christian marriage. They are just four. Number one, living. Genesis chapter 2 verse 24 is quoted in both Matthew chapter 19, Mark chapter 10, and also in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 29, 30. That therefore shall a man leave father and mother. Until you are mature enough to stop hanging on your mother's apron strings. Until you are financially mature to take care of a home. You are emotionally mature. Until you are, you know, psychologically mature and intellectually mature to take care of a woman. Don't marry. Don't think about marriage. 
Because marriage involves living the comfort of a father and mother. So that you can now begin to think for yourself, fend for yourself, take decisions for yourself, answer questions, solve problems on your own. You live father and mother. But you don't only live father and mother. It means that your closest friends, your closest relationships must be dropped. Because if God himself said in Exodus 20 that we should honor father and mother so that we will be blessed. And he says in marriage you live father and mother. Every relationship, your best friends, you know, you have to drop that relationship in order to be an effective married person. If you are married and your marriage is controlled by the advice of your friends, you are wrong. You are married. But you see that every time your mother says this, your father says this, your husband cannot do anything. Or you the man too. Your mother has found a girl for you to marry from your hometown. So because of that, you won't listen to anything. Don't marry. Christian marriages cannot endure that. The Bible says the deepest, most intimate relationship in the whole of life and in the whole world is the marriage life. Therefore, shall a man leave father and mother. The second stone is they cleave to one another. They are joined to one another. Marriage is a deliberate, intentional joining. Even if you leave father and mother, and you are not determined to join, you, you, you will never be able to cleave. Now, I remember when uh, we had one of our babies, I've forgotten which one of them, she was just two weeks old, and I was the, one of the speakers for a full gospel businessman's fellowship convention happening in the Volta region. And my wife took this two-week-old baby and came and was reading my Bible verses. Everybody said, Ah! Why, Mrs. Mensah, why are you troubling this child? And she said, oh, I'm committed to my husband's ministry. You see, you decide to bath together. You decide to eat together. You decide to, to, to sleep together. You decide to cleave. You, eh, eh, and the second most important foundation stone in Christian and biblical marriage is cleaving. You have to make the effort. If, it is, if coronavirus has made it such that you cannot go out, your staying at home must be a determination to do things together with your wife. Otherwise, you will find out that you are in the same house, but you are not cleaving. You see? It is a joining. You see? That's why Jesus said, what God has put together, no man should put asunder. God put you together. And cooperate with the divine process of putting you together. Do things together. As you do things together, you begin to learn the differences and similarities between the two of you. And you work together more. The more you stay apart and away from one another, the less you know of one another. Live where you are. Join your husband. I know wives who have never gone to their husband's office. I know husbands who have never, haven't found out where their wife works. You know, how are you joining together? But the third is they 
shall become one flesh. This oneness is sealed in sex. Your wife is your only sexual partner. Last time I read on the internet a wife switching team and they interviewed about 1,000 people who have joined the movement to switch wives. That means I allow my wife to go and sleep with other men one weekend. I also go and sleep with other women and we switch. And they interviewed them that uh, why do you do that? And you know, and they gave reasons that variety and so on. You know? And, and this is where we are going. You see? Man now has no conscience. Anybody who sleeps with your wife becomes one flesh with your wife. You to every woman you sleep with, you, become, you are actually tearing yourself apart. And when you come back, you are never satisfied again with one another. Because you begin to compare. You see? And not only that. You need oneness of purpose. You need to define what the marriage is about. What you want to achieve. Your goals. You need to come together and plan your strategies for life. You need to, to work together. Pray together. You know? Family planning, for example. Before you enter the marriage, why don't you seek God's face? And find out how many children he wants you to have. Find it out. Compare your notes with one another under God. And let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Why should you be married and be aborting? You see? Then the woman says, I for this one, I don't want to abort. Then the man says, you must abort. Otherwise, and then you slap your wife. What is that? So we have worked on marriage. The definition, the purpose and importance, and the pillars. God bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Father, heal our homes. Father, transform our homes. Father, every home, every home, every home, listening to my voice, as I speak right now, I speak into the home in the name of Jesus. I speak to every home listening to my voice. You created man in your image and after your likeness. What God has put together, let not man put asunder. And Kima Korianda, the blood of Jesus, sweeping over every home, sweeping over every home, the blood of Jesus, the powerful blood of Jesus, disintegrating every idea of Satan in Korianda Habakakima Yamakakakiyama Korianda Father, healing for the homes, healing Kianda Baka inner heads, offenses, Lord, unforgiveness, kianda habaka kia, intolerance, spirits of intolerance, yama kakima gori anda, kamaga kianda, in the name of Jesus, the home you created, the home you created, the home you created, the home you created, Father, that Christian homes will rise up and be a glory to you, in Jesus' name, Amen. Follow JFK Mensa Ministries on Facebook and YouTube and invite others to listen to his podcast. You can also access some of JFK Mensa's books and keep up with his ministry at www.jfkmensaministries.org. God bless you.